down the mountainside. I don't remember much about the trip back to Camp 6. We stumbled into camp well after dark. I vaguely remember Yogi hooking up a fresh oxygen tank to my mask. But after that, it's a blank. I didn't have any trouble sleeping, I know that. And I didn't have any regrets about not reaching the summit. I woke up with spit frozen all over my face and the worst headache of my life. The oxygen tank was empty. I grabbed another and cranked it up to six for a few minutes. That got rid of most of the headache. Yogi and I were eager to get down and check on Zopa. We bypassed Camp 5 and went directly to Camp 4. As soon as we stepped into camp, we were confronted by one of the Chinese soldiers. He was dressed like a climber, except for the pistol strapped around his waist. In pretty good English, he asked me who we were and what we were doing. My name is Peak Marcello, and this is Yogi Sherpa, I said. We took supplies up to Camp 5 and were headed back down to base camp. He called Captain Sheck on the radio, and they had a long conversation in Chinese. The captain wants to talk to you, the soldier said, and handed me the radio. This is Peak Marcello, I said. Joshua Wood's son? Right. What are you doing on the mountain? Like I told your officer, I helped take supplies up to Camp 5. Josh is taking a climbing party up tomorrow. But you leave mountain. What are you talking about, I asked, enjoying myself immensely. I'm at Camp 4. You have big argument with your father. Oh, that. He told me that he wasn't going to let me try for the summit. It made me mad, but at least he let me get as far as Camp 5. What about other boy? What other boy? Sunjo. Oh, him, I said. He's in Nepal, which was the absolute truth. I don't believe. I have soldier bring you and Sherpa back to base camp. Whatever, I said, and handed the radio back to the soldier. They had another long conversation in Chinese, but I knew what this one was about. The other soldiers had gathered around the radio and were listening intently. The one with the radio finally signed off and shook his head with resignation. You don't have to escort us down, I said. We have orders, he said. That's fine with me, but we're going to base camp. Where else would we go? About that time, Josh came on the radio asking for me. The soldier handed me his radio again. Is everything okay, Peak? I guess. What's the matter with that captain? I don't know. Anyway, we're headed up to ABC tomorrow, so I guess we'll see you on your way to base camp. Thanks for helping Yogi get those supplies up to five. I could see him and the others gathered at HQ monitoring the call from Captain Sheck. No problem, I said. Is there any way you'd consider giving me a shot at the summit? We've already talked about that peak. The answer is no. Maybe next year or the year after when you're a little older. You're not ready. Out, I handed the radio back, trying to look disappointed. The soldier looked at me for a moment. Do I have your word that you are going down to base camp? I held up my right hand. 
You have my word. All I want to do right now is crawl into my tent and go to sleep. He nodded. Yogi and I headed over to Zopa's tent, not sure what we would find. What we found was a note. Peek. I left Camp 4 yesterday. All is well. I will see you on the road. Zopa. I was glad to hear he was okay, but the note freaked me out. It was addressed to me. The plan had been for me to top the mountain with Sanjo and cross into Nepal. How could Zopa possibly have known what I was planning to do? I didn't know what I was planning to do until I was 10 feet away from the summit. Yogi and I woke up early and left Camp 4 before anyone was awake. I wanted to give the soldiers an out so they could tell the captain that we had left before they were up. When we got to ABC, we were met by more soldiers. They were in uniform and looked uncomfortably cold. Once again, I was given a radio with a very angry Captain Sheck on the other end. You leave Camp 4, right? Without soldiers. We left before light. We didn't want to wake them. Besides, we know our way down to base camp. We don't need an escort. Soldiers at ABC escort you. Fine. The two soldiers picked up, picked for the duty, were delighted to be leaving ABC. We ran into Josh and his clients just as they were arriving at Camp 2. They must have left base camp early because they had made good time. Josh took me to the side out of earshot of the Chinese soldiers. Did you make the summit? he asked quietly. No. What happened? Ran out of steam. No worries, he said. What about Zopa, Sanjo, and Yash? Zopa got sick and didn't get camp past Camp 4. I don't know where he is now. I was hoping that you'd seen him. Josh, Josh shook his head. I'm sure he's fine. He probably slipped into the porter camp at night and is laying low. I hope so. And Sanjo and Yash, he asked. As far as I know, they're in Nepal. What? I told him about Zopa's plan. He broke into a broad grin. That son of a gun, Captain Sheck is going to flip when he finds out. Topping the mountain. He shook his head, then turned a little more serious. How far did you make it? Above Camp 6. Well, you made it a lot farther than most people. I will take you next year or the year after. We'll go up the Nepal side. After Shek finds out about Sanjo, I'll never get a permit to climb on this side again. When did Sanjo summit? 1.32 p.m., May 30th, a day before his 15th birthday. He put his hand on my shoulder. I wish it could have been you. No worries, I said. We go, one of the soldiers said. In a minute, Josh said, then turned back to me. Sheck is going to detain you when you get to base camp and ask you some questions. Thaddeus will be there with you. In real life, Thaddeus is a lawyer and is fluent in Chinese and Chinese laws. You'll be okay. I was going to be okay, but not for the reason he thought. And I was not going to join him on another Everest climb. I'd had enough of 8,000 meter peaks. Littered, littered with corpses. 
I'm going home, I said. What do you mean? Back to New York. We'll talk about that when I get down. I won't be there when you get down, I said. What's the hurry? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Okay, I want to be home for the twins' birthday. By the look on his face, I was right. He didn't understand. I haven't missed one yet, I said. Josh stared at me for a moment. Well, I guess Thaddeus can get you a ride to Kathmandu. We go now, the Chinese soldier shouted. We're just about finished, Josh Josh said irritably. I guess I'd better go. Yeah, well, sorry it didn't work out, Josh put out his hand. Actually, it did work out, I said, shaking his hand. I'll see you around. I started following the soldiers and Yogi, then turned back and shouted, Right when you get a chance. Josh looked at me and grinned. I might just do that. We got to base camp about five o'clock. Captain Sheck, several soldiers, and Thaddeus Bowen were waiting for me. They weren't interested in Yogi and let him go to, into camp. When we got to Sheck's headquarters, the first thing he did was to dump everything in my pack onto a very large table. Then, just like my New York de- detective a century ago, he examined the contents item by item. He found nothing of interest except for the digital camera Josh had, had gotten for me, JR's video camera, and my moleskin. He flipped through the moleskin, found mostly blank pages, and put it back down. The cameras he pushed to the side of the table. Sir, sit, he said. There was a single straight-backed chair. I sat. He asked me the same questions he had asked me up at Camp 4, but this time he had a tape recorder going and a soldier taking notes. I answered the questions in the exact same way. When he finished, he told me I could repack my things. I began stuffing things back in, but when I got to the camera, the captain stopped me. Not those, he said. You have no right to take anything, Thaddeus said. Cameras will be returned after we look. Well, there better not be any damage to them when they are returned, Thaddeus said. Some lawyer, I thought. Glad he wasn't defending me when I was in front of that New York City judge. I'll be... I'd be in jail right now. When we got outside the building, he whispered, was there anything incriminating in those cameras? It's a little bit late to be asking now, I said, but the answer is no. I took the memory card out and put a blank one in. Where is the memory card? Someplace safe. It was actually stuffed in my sock. I was tired. I started toward my tent. And it wasn't until I got there that I remembered I didn't have a tent there anymore. I crawled into Josh's and was a little surprised at how tidy everything was. All the clothes were neatly folded, gear stored in boxes. He had a little folding desk with pens and paper and a laptop computer. Next to the computer were two sacks of mail. The first stack was addressed to him. The second stack was addressed to me. 
my stack was a lot higher than his. I could have gotten mad again at the whole male thing, but I didn't have the energy or the interest anymore. Like I said, you don't get to pick your name or your parents. Joshua Wood is what he is. I couldn't change him or the fact that he was my father. All I could do was try not to become him. I opened the big envelope addressed to Peek, P.P. Marcello. Inside was a drawing and a smaller envelope. Written on the outside of the envelope was Air Plan Far, six-year-old spelling, meaning airplane fare. Inside was $67.86, not quite enough to get to New York, but I still had Rolf's 300 bucks and the credit card. I pulled out the drawing. It was an invitation to a birthday party. I would have to hurry if I was going to make it in time. I started toward HQ to find Thaddeus, but on the way, I heard a truck start. I ran over to see if I could hitch a ride and found Yogi in the back. The drivers charged me a hundred bucks, but I didn't care. I would have paid twice as much. I was on my way home, and the truck was nicer than the one we'd taken to the mountain. The cupboard bed was empty with plenty of room to lie down and sleep. The two drivers took turns at the wheel and were both in a hurry. They only stopped for fuel, which was fine with me. When we came to the road above the Friendship Bridge, where the prisoners had been shipping the boulder, the truck slowed and came to a stop. Yogi and I hopped out of the back to find out what was going on. The boulder and prisoners were gone. In their place was a Buddhist monk with a shaved head and an orange robe. He was talking to the driver with his back to us. As we walked up, he turned around and smiled. It was Zopa. He looked fully recovered, as healthy as he had that first day I met him in the Indrayani temple. How did you get here? He held up his thumb. I hitchhiked. Somehow I doubted that. Why would someone drop him off on this lonely stretch of road? The only thing nearby was the border crossing at the Friendship Bridge. Unless he asked to be let out here. I will see you on the road, his note had said. I figured he had messed up the phrase and meant down the road. I guess I was wrong. The three of us got into the back of the truck. I thought we were in for a big hassle at the bridge, but when we got there, the guards looked in our truck, glanced at our papers, then waved us through without a word. We made one more stop before we got to the airport in Kathmandu. I complained that I needed to get to the airport, but Zopa made a good point. They will not allow you on an airplane looking and smelling like you do. The monks at the monastery washed my clothes as I took a long bath. Zopa rode to the airport with me. Before going into the terminal, I pulled out the note Zopa had left for us at Camp 4. How did you know you'd see me on the road? Zopa shrugged. The answer didn't surprise me. I unzipped a side pocket on my pack and pulled out the memory card. You might need this to prove Sanjo got to the summit. Zopa took the card and stashed it in the folds of his orange robe. 
Will we see you again on Saga Martha? I wanted to shrug my reply, but I couldn't, because I knew the answer. No, I said, but I might return to Kathmandu to visit. You are welcome any time, Zopa bowed and gave me a blessing. Then he looked up and said, Thank you for what you did for my grandson. I returned the bow. Thank you for what your son did for my father. Final chapter, Denouement. It took 24 hours to get to New York, but because I crossed the international dateline going west, I got there only a few hours after I left Kathmandu. I grabbed a cab and nervously fidgeted as the driver fought the heavy traffic into the city, hoping that I wouldn't be too late. When he pulled up in front of our building, I gave him a fistful of cash without even counting. I took the elevator to the loft. I heard the party before I saw it. Rolf knew how to throw a party. Mom and I were a little weak in that area. There would be no less than 75 people in the loft. Parents and their kids, teachers from GSS, neighbors, people from Mom's bookstore, lawyers from Rolf's office. Last year for entertainment, Rolf had hired a group of performing dogs. The year before, he had brought a reptile woman, Helen of the Herpetologist. Helen the Herpetologist, the twins' favorite, with bags of snakes and turtles and lizards. It turned out that I was the entertainment this year. At least that's what it looked like when I walked through the front door. Told you he would be here. I did too. The two peas dropped their presents and threw their little arms around my thighs. Mom was next, then Rolf. I told myself that I wasn't going to cry, but that idea went right out the window as soon as I saw them. As we hugged, everyone sang happy birthday. When everything had settled down a little, Mom pulled me into the kitchen and asked me how I was. I told her I was tired and a little sore. You've lost weight, I guess. She looked at me for a moment and gave me another hug. I'm glad you're back. Me too. So you didn't make it to the summit. How'd you know that? Josh called this morning said to tell you happy birthday. That was a first. Where was he? He didn't say, somewhere up the mountain. The connection wasn't very good. It reminded me of the old days. I bet, I said. I know I should have called, but I wanted it to be a surprise. It was still a surprise, Mom said. I didn't think you'd get here in time for the birthday, although the two peas insisted I was wrong. Is everything okay here? I mean, is it all right that I came back? Your skyscraper stunt is old news, and Rolf and I are trying to keep it that way. What do you mean, trying? Polly Angelo. Uh-oh. She's been hanging around a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I kind of like her, and the twins are wild about her. Rolf? Well, he tolerates her. We've talked her into not writing about your Everest trip. It would just bring up the whole skyscraper thing again, and we don't want to do that, especially now that you're back in town. It's best if we... 
Rolf opened the kitchen door with an apologetic, worried look on his face. Peek! Holly pushed him aside as she assaulted the kitchen, wearing a bright pink pantsuit, lime green scarf, and a red purse the size of a suitcase. I let her throw her spidery, spidery arm, arms around me and actually hugged her back. It was good to see her. When she finally set me free, she glanced furtively around the kitchen as if she were looking for spies. I heard you didn't make it to the summit, she whispered. I'm sorry. How did you find out? I've talked to Josh several times in the past couple of days. He was being pretty chatty, it seemed. Holly put her red purse on the counter, looked around again, then pulled out a newspaper. This is about to hit the streets. Youngest Person Summits Everest by Holly Angelo. It was a full-page spread with several photos taken from video I had shot. The biggest photo was of Sanjo, Yogi, and Yash sitting next to the summit pole. I think there's a book in this, Holly said. I talked to Sanjo today. He said to say hello and to wish you a happy birthday. He also told me he's enjoying the present you gave him, and so are his sisters. I smiled. What did you get him? Holly asked. Nothing much, I said. I'd better go out and mingle. Rolf gave me a doubtful look. I said hello to a few people, got a tour of the twins' presents, then noticed Vincent sitting in the corner by himself gathering grist. I was surprised to see him. We always invited him to the parties, but he rarely showed up. Thanks for coming, I said. I was just about ready to leave when you walked in through the door, Vincent said. You have had an interesting few weeks. You read the moleskin, I said. Yes, and it was well written. Unfortunately, there is only a beginning and a partial middle to the story. Even though you managed to fill the moleskin, I'm afraid the assignment is incomplete. The story lacks a climax, an end, and a denouement. So I cannot... There's a second moleskin, I said. I'm not sure about the climax, but the story does have an end. Kind of. And I'm right in the middle of the denouement, literally. I pointed at the partygoers. Vincent smiled. Of course, I see your point. How about if I finish it up tomorrow morning? That will be fine. I will be at GSS until noon. School is out for the summer, and the deadline for your assignment has passed, but under the circumstances, I think we can make an exception. He stood up, and again, it's a well-crafted story. You left me hanging. I'm desperate to find out what happened. I'm sitting in my bedroom, finishing the moleskin. The twins are awake. I hear them giggling and arguing as they eat their mid-morning snack. I promised to take them to GSS with me when I drop off the moleskin. Here they come, their little feet pattering up the steps. The door opens. What are you doing? You said you'd take us to school. I'm working on my assignment. What's this? Patrice points at the newspaper article about Sun Joe pinned on my bulletin board. Is that you? Paula asks, pointing at Sun Joe. No. What are those flags? Prayer flags. What's a prayer flag? There's a prayer written on the flag. 
When it blows in the wind, the prayer goes up to God. If you put the flag really high on a mountain, the prayer gets to God faster. Looks like that yellow one has a blue mountain on it like the ones you used to draw. It could be. Now sit down on my bed and be quiet so I can finish this. We missed you, Peak. We love you, Peak. I love you too. I'm almost finished. I look at the twins, smiling, and write my last sentence. The only thing you'll find on the summit of Mount Everest is a divine view. The things that really matter lie far below. The end. Down the mountainside. I don't remember much about the trip back to Camp 6. We stumbled into camp well after dark. I vaguely remember Yogi hooking up a fresh oxygen tank to my mask. But after that, it's a blank. I didn't have any trouble sleeping, I know that. And I didn't have any regrets about not reaching the summit. I woke up with spit frozen all over my face and the worst headache of my life. The oxygen tank was empty. I grabbed another and cranked it up to six for a few minutes. That got rid of most of the headache. Yogi and I were eager to get down and check on Zopa. We bypassed Camp 5 and went directly to Camp 4. As soon as we stepped into camp, we were confronted by one of the Chinese soldiers. He was dressed like a climber, except for the pistol strapped around his waist. In pretty good English, he asked me who we were and what we were doing. My name is Peak Marcello, and this is Yogi Sherpa, I said. We took supplies up to Camp 5 and were headed back down to base camp. He called Captain Sheck on the radio, and they had a long conversation in Chinese. The captain wants to talk to you, the soldier said, and handed me the radio. This is Peak Marcello, I said. Joshua Wood's son? Right. What are you doing on the mountain? Like I told your officer, I helped take supplies up to Camp 5. Josh is taking a climbing party up tomorrow. But you leave mountain. What are you talking about, I asked, enjoying myself immensely. I'm at Camp 4. You have big argument with your father. Oh, that. He told me that he wasn't going to let me try for the summit. It made me mad, but at least he let me get as far as Camp 5. What about other boy? What other boy? Sun Joe. Oh, him, I said. He's in Nepal, which was the absolute truth. I don't believe. I have soldier bring you and Sherpa back to base camp. Whatever, I said, and handed the radio back to the soldier. They had another long conversation in Chinese, but I knew what this one was about. The other soldiers had gathered around the radio and were listening intently. The one with the radio finally signed off and shook his head with resignation. You don't have to escort us down, I said. We have orders, he said. That's fine with me, but we're going to base camp. Where else would we go? About that time, Josh came on the radio asking for me. The soldier handed me his radio again. Is everything okay, Pete? 
I guess. What's the matter with that captain? I don't know. Anyway, we're headed up to ABC tomorrow, so I guess we'll see you on your way to base camp. Thanks for helping Yogi get those supplies up to five. I could see him and the others gathered at HQ monitoring the call from Captain Sheck. No problem, I said. Is there any way you'd consider giving me a shot at the summit? We've already talked about that peak. The answer is no. Maybe next year or the year after when you're a little older. You're not ready. Out. I handed the radio back, trying to look disappointed. The soldier looked at me for a moment. Do I have your word that you are going down to base camp? I held up my right hand. You have my word. All I want to do right now is crawl into my tent and go to sleep. He nodded. Yogi and I headed over to Zopa's tent, not sure what we would find. What we found was a note. Peek. I left Camp 4 yesterday. All is well. I will see you on the road. Zopa. I was glad to hear he was okay, but the note freaked me out. It was addressed to me. The plan had been for me to top the mountain with Sanjo and cross into Nepal. How could Zopa possibly have known what I was planning to do? I didn't know what I was planning to do until I was 10 feet away from the summit. Yogi and I woke up early and left Camp 4 before anyone was awake. I wanted to give the soldiers an out so they could tell the captain that we had left before they were up. When we got to ABC, we were met by more soldiers. They were in uniform and looked uncomfortably cold. Once again, I was given a radio with a very angry Captain Sheck on the other end. You leave Camp 4, right? Without soldiers. We left before light. We didn't want to wake them. Besides, we know our way down to base camp. We don't need an escort. Soldiers at ABC escort you. Fine. The two soldiers picked up, picked for the duty, were delighted to be leaving ABC. We ran into Josh and his clients just as they were arriving at Camp 2. They must have left base camp early because they had made good time. Josh took me to the side out of earshot of the Chinese soldiers. Did you make the summit? He asked quietly. No. What happened? Ran out of steam. No worries, he said. What about Zopa, Sanjo, and Yash? Zopa got sick and didn't get past Camp 4. I don't know where he is now. I was hoping that you'd seen him. Josh Josh shook his head. I'm sure he's fine. He probably slipped into the porter camp at night and is laying low. I hope so. And Sanjo and Yash, he asked. As far as I know, they're in Nepal. What? I told him about Zopa's plan. He broke into a broad grin. That son of a gun, Captain Sheck is going to flip when he finds out. Topping the mountain. He shook his head, then turned a little more serious. How far did you make it? Above Camp 6. Well, you made it a lot farther than most people. I will take you next year or the year after. We'll go up the Nepal side. After Shek finds out about Sanjo, I'll never get a permit to climb on this side again. When did Sanjo summit? 
1.32 p.m. May 30th, a day before his 15th birthday. He put his hand on my shoulder. I wish it could have been you. No worries, I said. We go, one of the soldiers said. In a minute, Josh said, then turned back to me. Sheck is going to detain you when you get to base camp and ask you some questions. Thaddeus will be there with you. In real life, Thaddeus is a lawyer and is fluent in Chinese and Chinese laws. You'll be okay. I was going to be okay, but not for the reason he thought. And I was not going to join him on another Everest climb. I'd had enough of 8,000 meter peaks littered with corpses. I'm going home, I said. What do you mean? Back to New York. We'll talk about that when I get down. I won't be there when you get down, I said. What's the hurry? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Okay, I want to be home for the twins' birthday. By the look on his face, I was right. He didn't understand. I haven't missed one yet, I said. Josh stared at me for a moment. Well, I guess Thaddeus can get you a ride to Kathmandu. We go now, the Chinese soldier shouted. We're just about finished, Josh Josh said irritably. I guess I'd better go. Yeah, well, sorry it didn't work out, Josh put out his hand. Actually, it did work out, I said, shaking his hand. I'll see you around. I started following the soldiers and Yogi then turned back and shouted, right when you get a chance. Josh looked at me and grinned. I might just do that. We got to base camp about five o'clock. Captain Sheck, several soldiers, and Thaddeus Bowen were waiting for me. They weren't interested in Yogi and let him go into camp. When we got to Sheck's headquarters, the first thing he did was to dump everything in my pack onto a very large table. Then, just like my New York detective a century ago, he examined the contents item by item. He found nothing of interest except for the digital camera Josh had had gotten for me, JR's video camera, and my moleskin. He flipped through the moleskin, found mostly blank pages, and put it back down. The cameras he pushed to the side of the table. Sir, go sit, he said. There was a single straight-backed chair. I sat. He asked me the same questions he had asked me up at Camp 4, but this time he had a tape recorder going and a soldier taking notes. I answered the questions in the exact same way. When he finished, he told me I could repack my things. I began stuffing things back in, but when I got to the camera, the captain stopped me. Not those, he said. You have no right to take anything, Thaddeus said. Cameras will be returned after we look. Well, there better not be any damage to them when they are returned, Thaddeus said. Some lawyer, I thought. Glad he wasn't defending me when I was in front of that New York City judge. I'll be... I'd be in jail right now. When we got outside the building, he whispered, was there anything incriminating in those cameras? It's a little bit late to be asking now, I said. 
but the answer is no. I took the memory card out and put a blank one in. Where is the memory card? Someplace safe. It was actually stuffed in my sock. I was tired. I started toward my tent, and it wasn't until I got there that I remembered I didn't have a tent there anymore. I crawled into Josh's and was a little surprised at how tidy everything was. All the clothes were neatly folded, gear stored in boxes. He had a little folding desk with pens and paper and a laptop computer. Next to the computer were two sacks of mail. The first stack was addressed to him. The second stack was addressed to me. My stack was a lot higher than his. I could have gotten mad again at the whole mail thing, but I didn't have the energy or the interest anymore. Like I said, you don't get to pick your name or your parents. Joshua Wood is what he is. I couldn't change him or the fact that he was my father. All I could do was try not to become him. I opened the big envelope addressed to Peek, P.P. Marcello. Inside was a drawing and a smaller envelope. Written on the outside of the envelope was Air Plan Bar, six-year-old spelling, meaning airplane fare. Inside was $67.86, not quite enough to get to New York, but I still had Rolf's 300 bucks and the credit card. I pulled out the drawing. It was an invitation to a birthday party. I would have to hurry if I was going to make it in time. I started toward HQ to find Thaddeus, but on the way, I heard a truck start. I ran over to see if I could hitch a ride and found Yogi in the back. The drivers charged me a hundred bucks, but I didn't care. I would have paid twice as much. I was on my way home, and the truck was nicer than the one we'd taken to the mountain. The cupboard bed was empty, with plenty of room to lie down and sleep. The two drivers took turns at the wheel and were both in a hurry. They only stopped for fuel, which was fine with me. When we came to the road above the Friendship Bridge, where the prisoners had been shipping the boulder, the truck slowed and came to a stop. Yogi and I hopped out of the back to find out what was going on. The boulder and prisoners were gone. In their place was a Buddhist monk with a shaved head and an orange robe. He was talking to the driver with his back to us. As we walked up, he turned around and smiled. It was Zopa. He looked fully recovered, as healthy as he had that first day I met him in the Indrayani temple. How did you get here? He held up his thumb. I hitchhiked. Somehow I doubted that. Why would someone drop him off on this lonely stretch of road? The only thing nearby was the border crossing at the Friendship Bridge. Unless he asked to be let out here. I will see you on the road, his note had said. I figured he had messed up the phrase and meant down the road. I guess I was wrong. The three of us got into the back of the truck. I thought we were in for a big hassle at the bridge, but when we got there, the guards looked in our truck, glanced at our papers, then waved us through without a word. 
We made one more stop before we got to the airport in Kathmandu. I complained that I needed to get to the airport, but Zopa made a good point. They will not allow you on an airplane looking and smelling like you do. The monks at the monastery washed my clothes as I took a long bath. Zopa rode to the airport with me. Before going into the terminal, I pulled out the note Zopa had left for us at Camp 4. How did you know you'd see me on the road? Zopa shrugged. The answer didn't surprise me. I unzipped a side pocket on my pack and pulled out the memory card. You might need this to prove Sanjo got to the summit. Zopa took the card and stashed it in the folds of his orange robe. Will we see you again on Saga Martha? I wanted to shrug my reply, but I couldn't, because I knew the answer. No, I said, but I might return to Kathmandu to visit. You are welcome any time, Zopa bowed and gave me a blessing. Then he looked up and said, Thank you for what you did for my grandson. I returned the bow. Thank you for what your son did for my father. Final chapter, Denouement. It took 24 hours to get to New York, but because I crossed the international dateline going west, I got there only a few hours after I left Kathmandu. I grabbed a cab and nervously fidgeted as the driver fought the heavy traffic into the city, hoping that I wouldn't be too late. When he pulled up in front of our building, I gave him a fistful of cash without even counting. I took the elevator to the loft. I heard the party before I saw it. Rolf knew how to throw a party. Mom and I were a little weak in that area. There would be no less than 75 people in the loft. Parents and their kids, teachers from GSS, neighbors, people from Mom's bookstore, lawyers from Rolf's office. Last year for entertainment, Rolf had hired a group of performing dogs. The year before, he had brought a reptile woman, Helen of the Herpetologist, Helen the Herpetologist, the twins' favorite, with bags of snakes and turtles and lizards. It turned out that I was the entertainment this year. At least that's what it looked like when I walked through the front door. Told you he would be here. I did, too. The two peas dropped their presents and threw their little arms around my thighs. Mom was next, then Rolf. I told myself that I wasn't going to cry, but that idea went right out the window as soon as I saw them. As we hugged, everyone sang happy birthday. When everything had settled down a little, Mom pulled me into the kitchen and asked me how I was. I told her I was tired and a little sore. You've lost weight. I guess. She looked at me for a moment and gave me another hug. I'm glad you're back. Me too. So you didn't make it to the summit. How'd you know that? Josh called this morning, said to tell you happy birthday. That was a first. Where was he? He didn't say, somewhere up the mountain. The connection wasn't very good. It reminded me of the old days. I bet, I said. I know I should have called, but I wanted it to be a surprise. It was still a surprise, Mom said. I didn't think you'd get here in time for the birthday. 
although the two peas insisted I was wrong. Is everything okay here? I mean, is it all right that I came back? Your skyscraper stunt is old news, and Rolf and I are trying to keep it that way. What do you mean, trying? Polly Angelo. Uh-oh. She's been hanging around a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I kind of like her, and the twins are wild about her. Rolf, well, he tolerates her. We've talked her into not writing about your Everest trip. It would just bring up the whole skyscraper thing again, and we don't want to do that, especially now that you're back in town. It's best if we... Rolf opened the kitchen door with an apologetic, worried look on his face. Peek! Holly pushed him aside as she assaulted the kitchen, wearing a bright pink pantsuit, lime green scarf, and a red purse the size of a suitcase. I let her throw her spidery, spidery arm, arms around me and actually hugged her back. It was good to see her. When she finally set me free, she glanced furtively around the kitchen as if she were looking for spies. I heard you didn't make it to the summit, she whispered. I'm sorry. How did you find out? I've talked to Josh several times in the past couple of days. He was being pretty chatty, it seemed. Holly put her red purse on the counter, looked around again, then pulled out a newspaper. This is about to hit the streets. Youngest Person Summits Everest by Holly Angelo. It was a full-page spread with several photos taken from video I had shot. The biggest photo was of Sanjo, Yogi, and Yash sitting next to the summit pole. I think there's a book in this, Holly said. I talked to Sanjo today. He said to say hello and to wish you a happy birthday. He also told me he's enjoying the present you gave him, and so are his sisters. I smiled. What did you get him? Holly asked. Nothing much, I said. I'd better go out and mingle. Rolf gave me a doubtful look. I said hello to a few people, got a tour of the twins' presents, then noticed Vincent sitting in the corner by himself gathering grist. I was surprised to see him. We always invited him to the parties, but he rarely showed up. Thanks for coming, I said. I was just about ready to leave when you walked in through the door, Vincent said. You have had an interesting few weeks. You read the moleskin, I said. Yes, and it was well written. Unfortunately, there is only a beginning and a partial middle to the story. Even though you managed to fill the moleskin, I'm afraid the assignment is incomplete. The story lacks a climax, an end, and a denouement. So I cannot... There's a second moleskin, I said. I'm not sure about the climax, but the story does have an end. Kind of. And I'm right in the middle of the denouement, literally. I pointed at the partygoers. Vincent smiled. Of course, I see your point. How about if I finish it up tomorrow morning? That will be fine. I will be at GSS until noon. School is out for the summer and the deadline for your assignment has passed, but under the circumstances, I think we can make an exception. He stood up. And again, it's a well-crafted story. You left me hanging. I'm desperate to find out what happened.
I'm sitting in my bedroom, finishing the moleskin. The twins are awake. I hear them giggling and arguing as they eat their mid-morning snack. I promised to take them to GSS with me when I drop off the moleskin. Here they come, their little feet pattering up the steps. The door opens. What are you doing? You said you'd take us to school. I'm working on my assignment. What's this? Patrice points at the newspaper article about Sanjo pinned on my bulletin board. Is that you? Paula asks, pointing at Sanjo. No. What are those flags? Prayer flags. What's a prayer flag? There's a prayer written on the flag. When it blows in the wind, the prayer goes up to God. If you put the flag really high on a mountain, the prayer gets to God faster. Looks like that yellow one has a blue mountain on it like the ones you used to draw. It could be. Now sit down on my bed and be quiet so I can finish this. We missed you, Peak. We love you, Peak. I love you too. I'm almost finished. I look at the twins, smiling, and write my last sentence. The only thing you'll find on the summit of Mount Everest is a divine view. The things that really matter lie far below. The end. Down the mountainside. I don't remember much about the trip back to Camp 6. We stumbled into camp well after dark. I vaguely remember Yogi hooking up a fresh oxygen tank to my mask. But after that, it's a blank. I didn't have any trouble sleeping, I know that. And I didn't have any regrets about not reaching the summit. I woke up with spit frozen all over my face and the worst headache of my life. The oxygen tank was empty. I grabbed another and cranked it up to six for a few minutes. That got rid of most of the headache. Yogi and I were eager to get down and check on Zopa. We bypassed Camp 5 and went directly to Camp 4. As soon as we stepped into camp, we were confronted by one of the Chinese soldiers. He was dressed like a climber, except for the pistol strapped around his waist. In pretty good English, he asked me who we were and what we were doing. My name is Peak Marcello, and this is Yogi Sherpa, I said. We took supplies up to Camp 5 and were headed back down to base camp. He called Captain Sheck on the radio, and they had a long conversation in Chinese. The captain wants to talk to you, the soldier said, and handed me the radio. This is Peak Marcello, I said. Joshua Wood's son? Right. What are you doing on the mountain? Like I told your officer, I helped take supplies up to Camp 5. Josh is taking a climbing party up tomorrow. But you leave mountain. What are you talking about, I asked, enjoying myself immensely. I'm at Camp 4. You have big argument with your father. Oh, that. He told me that he wasn't going to let me try for the summit. It made me mad, but at least he let me get as far as Camp 5. What about other boy? What other boy? Sunjo. Oh, him, I said. He's in Nepal. Which? 
was the absolute truth. I don't believe. I have Soldier bring you and Sherpa back to base camp. Whatever, I said, and handed the radio back to the soldier. They had another long conversation in Chinese, but I knew what this one was about. The other soldiers had gathered around the radio and were listening intently. The one with the radio finally signed off and shook his head with resignation. You don't have to escort us down, I said. We have orders, he said. That's fine with me, but we're going to base camp. Where else would we go? About that time, Josh came on the radio asking for me. The soldier handed me his radio again. Is everything okay, Peek? I guess. What's the matter with that captain? I don't know. Anyway, we're headed up to ABC tomorrow, so I guess we'll see you on your way to base camp. Thanks for helping Yogi get those supplies up to five. I could see him and the others gathered at HQ monitoring the call from Captain Shack. No problem, I said. Is there any way you'd consider giving me a shot at the summit? We've already talked about that peak. The answer is no. Maybe next year or the year after when you're a little older. You're not ready. Out, I handed the radio back, trying to look disappointed. The soldier looked at me for a moment. Do I have your word that you are going down to base camp? I held up my right hand. You have my word. All I want to do right now is crawl into my tent and go to sleep. He nodded. Yogi and I headed over to Zopa's tent, not sure what we would find. What we found was a note. Peek. I left camp four yesterday. All is well. I will see you on the road. Zopa. I was glad to hear he was okay, but the note freaked me out. It was addressed to me. The plan had been for me to top the mountain with Sanjo and cross into Nepal. How could Zopa possibly have known what I was planning to do? I didn't know what I was planning to do until I was 10 feet away from the summit. Yogi and I woke up early and left Camp 4 before anyone was awake. I wanted to give the soldiers an out so they could tell the captain that we had left before they were up. When we got to ABC, we were met by more soldiers. They were in uniform and looked uncomfortably cold. Once again, I was given a radio with a very angry captain check on the other end. You leave Camp 4, right? Without soldiers. We left before light. We didn't want to wake them. Besides, we know our way down to base camp. We don't need an escort. Soldiers at ABC escort you. Fine. The two soldiers picked up, picked for the duty were delighted to be leaving ABC. We ran into Josh and his clients just as they were arriving at Camp 2. They must have left base camp early because they had made good time. Josh took me to the side out of earshot of the Chinese soldiers. Did you make the summit? He asked quietly. No. What happened? Ran out of steam. No worries, he said. What about Zopa, Sanjo, and Yash? Zopa got sick and didn't get camp past Camp 4. I don't know where he is now. I was hoping that you'd seen him. Josh, Josh shook his head. I'm sure he's fine. 
He probably slipped into the porter camp at night and is laying low. I hope so. And Sanjo and Yash, he asked. As far as I know, they're in Nepal. What? I told him about Zopa's plan. He broke into a broad grin. That son of a gun, Captain Sheck is going to flip when he finds out. Topping the mountain. He shook his head, then turned a little more serious. How far did you make it? Above Camp 6. Well, you made it a lot farther than most people. I will take you next year or the year after. We'll go up the Nepal side. After Shek finds out about Sanjo, I'll never get a permit to climb on this side again. When did Sanjo summit? 1.32 p.m., May 30th, a day before his 15th birthday. He put his hand on my shoulder. I wish it could have been you. No worries, I said. We go, one of the soldiers said. In a minute, Josh said, then turned back to me. Shek is going to detain you when you get to base camp and ask you some questions. Thaddeus will be there with you. In real life, Thaddeus is a lawyer and is fluent in Chinese and Chinese laws. You'll be okay. I was going to be okay, but not for the reason he thought. And I was not going to join him on another Everest climb. I'd had enough of 8,000 meter peaks littered with corpses. I'm going home, I said. What do you mean? Back to New York. We'll talk about that when I get down. I won't be there when you get down, I said. What's the hurry? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Okay, I want to be home for the twins' birthday. By the look on his face, I was right. He didn't understand. I haven't missed one yet, I said. Josh stared at me for a moment. Well, I guess Thaddeus can get you a ride to Kathmandu. We go now, the Chinese soldier shouted. We're just about finished, Josh, sa Josh said irritably. I guess I'd better go. Yeah, well, sorry it didn't work out, Josh put out his hand. Actually, it did work out, I said, shaking his hand. I'll see you around. I started following the soldiers and Yogi, then turned back and shouted, Right when you get a chance. Josh looked at me and grinned. I might just do that. We got to base camp about five o'clock. Captain Sheck, several soldiers, and Thaddeus Bowen were waiting for me. They weren't interested in Yogi and let him go to, into camp. When we got to Sheck's headquarters, the first thing he did was to dump everything in my pack onto a very large table. Then, just like my New York de detective a century ago, he examined the contents item by item. He found nothing of interest except for the digital camera Josh had gotten for me, JR's video camera, and my moleskin. He flipped through the moleskin found mostly blank pages, and put it back down. The cameras he pushed to the side of the table. Sir, oh, sit, he said. There was a single straight-backed chair. I sat. He asked me the same questions he had asked me up at Camp 4, 
but this time he had a tape recorder going and a soldier taking notes. I answered the questions in the exact same way. When he finished, he told me I could repack my things. I began stuffing things back in, but when I got to the camera, the captain stopped me. Not those, he said. You have no right to take anything, Thaddeus said. Cameras will be returned after we look. Well, there better not be any damage to them when they are returned, Thaddeus said. Some lawyer, I thought. Glad he wasn't defending me when I was in front of that New York City judge. I'll be, I'd be in jail right now. When we got outside the building, he whispered, was there anything incriminating in those cameras? It's a little bit late to be asking now, I said, but the answer is no. I took the memory card out and put a blank one in. Where is the memory card? Someplace safe. It was actually stuffed in my sock. I was tired. I started toward my tent, and it wasn't until I got there that I remembered. I didn't have a tent there anymore. I crawled into Josh's and was a little surprised at how tidy everything was. All the clothes were neatly folded, gear stored in boxes. He had a little folding desk with pens and paper and a laptop computer. Next to the computer were two sacks of mail. The first stack was addressed to him. The second stack was addressed to me. My stack was a lot higher than his. I could have gotten mad again at the whole mail thing, but I didn't have the energy or the interest anymore. Like I said, you don't get to pick your name or your parents. Joshua Wood is what he is. I couldn't change him or the fact that he was my father. All I could do was try not to become him. I opened the big envelope addressed to Peak, P.P. Marcello. Inside was a drawing and a smaller envelope. Written on the outside of the envelope was Air Plan Far, six-year-old spelling, meaning airplane fare. Inside was $67.86, not quite enough to get to New York, but I still had Rolf's 300 bucks and the credit card. I pulled out the drawing. It was an invitation to a birthday party. I would have to hurry if I was going to make it in time. I started toward HQ to find Thaddeus, but on the way, I heard a truck start. I ran over to see if I could hitch a ride and found Yogi in the back. The drivers charged me a hundred bucks, but I didn't care. I would have paid twice as much. I was on my way home, and the truck was nicer than the one we'd taken to the mountain. The cupboard bed was empty with plenty of room to lie down and sleep. The two drivers took turns at the wheel and were both in a hurry. They only stopped for fuel, which was fine with me. When we came to the road above the Friendship Bridge, where the prisoners had been shipping the boulder, the truck slowed then came to a stop. Yogi and I hopped out of the back to find out what was going on. The boulder and prisoners were gone. In their place was a Buddhist monk with a shaved head and an orange robe. He was talking to the driver with his back to us. As we walked up, he turned around and smiled. It was Zopa, 
He looked fully recovered, as healthy as he had that first day I met him in the Indrayani temple. How did you get here? He held up his thumb. I hitchhiked. Somehow I doubted that. Why would someone drop him off on this lonely stretch of road? The only thing nearby was the border crossing at the Friendship Bridge. Unless he asked to be let out here. I will see you on the road, his note had said. I figured he had messed up the phrase and meant down the road. I guess I was wrong. The three of us got into the back of the truck. I thought we were in for a big hassle at the bridge, but when we got there, the guards looked in our truck, glanced at our papers, then waved us through without a word. We made one more stop before we got to the airport in Kathmandu. I complained that I needed to get to the airport, but Zopa made a good point. They will not allow you on an airplane looking and smelling like you do. The monks at the monastery washed my clothes as I took a long bath. Zopa rode to the airport with me. Before going into the terminal, I pulled out the note Zopa had left for us at Camp 4. How did you know you'd see me on the road? Zopa shrugged. The answer didn't surprise me. I unzipped a side pocket on my pack and pulled out the memory card. You might need this to prove Sanjo got to the summit. Zopa took the card and stashed it in the folds of his orange robe. Will we see you again on Saga Martha? I wanted to shrug my reply, but I couldn't, because I knew the answer. No, I said, but I might return to Kathmandu to visit. You are welcome any time, Zopa bowed and gave me a blessing. Then he looked up and said, Thank you for what you did for my grandson. I returned the bow. Thank you for what your son did for my father. Final chapter, Denouement. It took 24 hours to get to New York, but because I crossed the international dateline going west, I got there only a few hours after I left Kathmandu. I grabbed a cab and nervously fidgeted as the driver fought the heavy traffic into the city hoping that I wouldn't be too late. When he pulled up in front of our building, I gave him a fistful of cash without even counting. I took the elevator to the loft. I heard the party before I saw it. Rolf knew how to throw a party. Mom and I were a little weak in that area. There would be no less than 75 people in the loft. Parents and their kids, teachers from GSS, neighbors, people from Mom's bookstore, lawyers from Rolf's office. Last year for entertainment, Rolf had hired a group of performing dogs. The year before, he had brought a reptile woman, Helen of the Herpetologist, Helen the Herpetologist, the twins' favorite, with bags of snakes and turtles and lizards. It turned out that I was the entertainment this year. At least that's what it looked like when I walked through the front door. Told you he would be here. I did too. The two peas dropped their presents and threw their little arms around my thighs. Mom was next, then Rolf. I told myself that I wasn't going to cry, but that idea went right out the window as soon as I saw them. As we hugged, everyone sang happy birthday. 
When everything had settled down a little, Mom pulled me into the kitchen and asked me how I was. I told her I was tired and a little sore. You've lost weight. I guess. She looked at me for a moment and gave me another hug. I'm glad you're back. Me too. So you didn't make it to the summit. How'd you know that? Josh called this morning, said to tell you happy birthday. That was a first. Where was he? He didn't say, somewhere up the mountain. The connection wasn't very good. It reminded me of the old days. I bet, I said. I know I should have called, but I wanted it to be a surprise. It was still a surprise, Mom said. I didn't think you'd get here in time for the birthday, although the two peas insisted I was wrong. Is everything okay here? I mean, is it all right that I came back? Your skyscraper stunt is old news, and Rolf and I are trying to keep it that way. What do you mean, trying? Holly Angelo. Uh-oh. She's been hanging around a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I kind of like her, and the twins are wild about her. Rolf, well, he tolerates her. We've talked her into not writing about your Everest trip. It would just bring up the whole skyscraper thing again, and we don't want to do that, especially now that you're back in town. It's best if we... Rolf opened the kitchen door with an apologetic, worried look on his face. Peek! Holly pushed him aside as she assaulted the kitchen, wearing a bright pink pantsuit, lime green scarf, and a red purse the size of a suitcase. I let her throw her spidery, spidery arm, arms around me and actually hugged her back. It was good to see her. When she finally set me free, she glanced furtively around the kitchen as if she were looking for spies. I heard you didn't make it to the summit, she whispered. I'm sorry. How did you find out? I've talked to Josh several times in the past couple of days. He was being pretty chatty, it seemed. Holly put her red purse on the counter, looked around again, then pulled out a newspaper. This is about to hit the streets. Youngest Person Summits Everest by Holly Angelo. It was a full-page spread with several photos taken from video I had shot. The biggest photo was of Sanjo, Yogi, and Yash sitting next to the summit pole. I think there's a book in this, Holly said. I talked to Sanjo today. He said to say hello and to wish you a happy birthday. He also told me he's enjoying the present you gave him, and so are his sisters. I smiled. What did you get him? Holly asked. Nothing much, I said. I'd better go out and mingle. Rolf gave me a doubtful look. I said hello to a few people, got a tour of the twins' presents, then noticed Vincent sitting in the corner by himself gathering grist. I was surprised to see him. We always invited him to the parties, but he rarely showed up. Thanks for coming, I said. I was just about ready to leave when you walked in through the door, Vincent said. You have had an interesting few weeks. You read the moleskin, I said. Yes, and it was well written. Unfortunately, there is only a beginning and a partial middle to the story. 
Even though you managed to fill the moleskin, I'm afraid the assignment is incomplete. The story lacks a climax, an end, and a denouement. So I cannot... There's a second moleskin, I said. I'm not sure about the climax, but the story does have an end. Kind of. And I'm right in the middle of the denouement, literally. I pointed at the partygoers. Vincent smiled. Of course, I see your point. How about if I finish it up tomorrow morning? That will be fine. I will be at GSS until noon. School is out for the summer and the deadline for your assignment has passed. But under the circumstances, I think we can make an exception. He stood up. And again, it's a well-crafted story. You left me hanging. I'm desperate to find out what happened. I'm sitting in my bedroom, finishing the moleskin. The twins are awake. I hear them giggling and arguing as they eat their mid-morning snack. I promised to take them to GSS with me when I drop off the moleskin. Here they come, their little feet pattering up the steps. The door opens. What are you doing? You said you'd take us to school. I'm working on my assignment. What's this? Patrice points at the newspaper article about Sun Joe pinned on my bulletin board. Is that you? Paula asks, pointing at Sun Joe. No. What are those flags? Prayer flags. What's a prayer flag? There's a prayer written on the flag. When it blows in the wind, the prayer goes up to God. If you put the flag really high on a mountain, the prayer gets to God faster. Looks like that yellow one has a blue mountain on it like the ones you used to draw. It could be. Now sit down on my bed and be quiet so I can finish this. We missed you, Peak. We love you, Peak. I love you too. I'm almost finished. I look at the twins, smiling, and write my last sentence. The only thing you'll find on the summit of Mount Everest is a divine view. The things that really matter lie far below. The end. Down the mountainside. I don't remember much about the trip back to Camp 6. We stumbled into camp well after dark. I vaguely remember Yogi hooking up a fresh oxygen tank to my mask. But after that, it's a blank. I didn't have any trouble sleeping, I know that. And I didn't have any regrets about not reaching the summit. I woke up with spit frozen all over my face and the worst headache of my life. The oxygen tank was empty. I grabbed another and cranked it up to six for a few minutes. That got rid of most of the headache. Yogi and I were eager to get down and check on Zopa. We bypassed Camp 5 and went directly to Camp 4. As soon as we stepped into camp, we were confronted by one of the Chinese soldiers. He was dressed like a climber, except for the pistol strapped around his waist. In pretty good English, he asked me who we were and what we were doing. My name is Peak Marcello, and this is Yogi Sherpa, I said. We took supplies up to Camp 5 and were headed back down to base camp. He called Captain Sheck on the radio, and they had a long conversation in Chinese. 
The captain wants to talk to you, the soldier said, and handed me the radio. This is Peak Marcello, I said. Joshua Woods' son? Right. What are you doing on the mountain? Like I told your officer, I helped take supplies up to Camp 5. Josh is taking a climbing party up tomorrow. But you leave mountain. What are you talking about, I asked, enjoying myself immensely. I'm at Camp 4. You have big argument with your father. Oh, that. He told me that he wasn't going to let me try for the summit. It made me mad, but at least he let me get as far as Camp 5. What about other boy? What other boy? Sunjo. Oh, him, I said. He's in Nepal, which was the absolute truth. I don't believe. I have soldier bring you and Sherpa back to base camp. Whatever, I said, and handed the radio back to the soldier. They had another long conversation in Chinese, but I knew what this one was about. The other soldiers had gathered around the radio and were listening intently. The one with the radio finally signed off and shook his head with resignation. You don't have to escort us down, I said. We have orders, he said. That's fine with me, but we're going to base camp. Where else would we go? About that time, Josh came on the radio asking for me. The soldier handed me his radio again. Is everything okay, Peak? I guess. What's the matter with that captain? I don't know. Anyway, we're headed up to ABC tomorrow, so I guess we'll see you on your way to base camp. Thanks for helping Yogi get those supplies up to five. I could see him and the others gathered at HQ monitoring the call from Captain Sheck. No problem, I said. Is there any way you'd consider giving me a shot at the summit? We've already talked about that peak. The answer is no. Maybe next year or the year after when you're a little older. You're not ready. Out, I handed the radio back, trying to look disappointed. The soldier looked at me for a moment. Do I have your word that you are going down to base camp? I held up my right hand. You have my word. All I want to do right now is crawl into my tent and go to sleep. He nodded. Yogi and I headed over to Zopa's tent, not sure what we would find. What we found was a note. Peak. I left camp four yesterday. All is well. I will see you on the road. Zopa. I was glad to hear he was okay, but the note freaked me out. It was addressed to me. The plan had been for me to top the mountain with Sanjo and cross into Nepal. How could Zopa possibly have known what I was planning to do? I didn't know what I was planning to do until I was 10 feet away from the summit. Yogi and I woke up early and left Camp 4 before anyone was awake. I wanted to give the soldiers an out so they could tell the captain that we had left before they were up. When we got to ABC, we were met by more soldiers. They were in uniform and looked uncomfortably cold. Once again, I was given a radio with a very angry Captain Sheck on the other end. You leave Camp 4, right? Without soldiers. We left before light. We didn't want to wake them. Besides, we know our way down to base camp. 
We don't need an escort. Soldiers at ABC escort you. Fine. The two soldiers picked up, picked for the duty, were delighted to be leaving ABC. We ran into Josh and his clients just as they were arriving at Camp 2. They must have left base camp early because they had made good time. Josh took me to the side out of earshot of the Chinese soldiers. Did you make the summit? He asked quietly. No. What happened? Ran out of steam. No worries, he said. What about Zopa, Sunjo, and Yash? Zopa got sick and didn't get camp past Camp 4. I don't know where he is now. I was hoping that you'd seen him. Josh, Josh shook his head. I'm sure he's fine. He probably slipped into the porter camp at night and is laying low. I hope so. And Sanjo and Yash, he asked. As far as I know, they're in Nepal. What? I told him about Zopa's plan. He broke into a broad grin. That son of a gun. Captain Sheck is going to flip when he finds out. Topping the mountain. He shook his head, then turned a little more serious. How far did you make it? Above Camp 6. Well, you made it a lot farther than most people. I will take you next year or the year after. We'll go up the Nepal side. After Sheck finds out about Sunjo, I'll never get a permit to climb on this side again. When did Sunjo summit? 1.32 p.m., May 30th, a day before his 15th birthday. He put his hand on my shoulder. I wish it could have been you. No worries, I said. We go, one of the soldiers said. In a minute, Josh said, then turned back to me. Sheck is going to detain you when you get to base camp and ask you some questions. Thaddeus will be there with you. In real life, Thaddeus is a lawyer and is fluent in Chinese and Chinese laws. You'll be okay. I was going to be okay, but not for the reason he thought. And I was not going to join him on another Everest climb. I'd had enough of 8,000-meter peaks littered with corpses. I'm going home, I said. What do you mean? Back to New York. We'll talk about that when I get down. I won't be there when you get down, I said. What's the hurry? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Okay, I want to be home for the twins' birthday. By the look on his face, I was right. He didn't understand. I haven't missed one yet, I said. Josh stared at me for a moment. Well, I guess Thaddeus can get you a ride to Kathmandu. We go now, the Chinese soldier shouted. We're just about finished, Josh, sa Josh said irritably. I guess I'd better go. Yeah, well, sorry it didn't work out, Josh put out his hand. Actually, it did work out, I said, shaking his hand. I'll see you around. I started following the soldiers and Yogi then turned back and shouted, Right when you get a chance. Josh looked at me and grinned. I might just do that. We got to base camp about five o'clock. Captain Sheck, several soldiers, and Thaddeus Bowen were waiting for me.
they weren't interested in Yogi and let him go to, into camp. When we got to Sheck's headquarters, the first thing he did was to dump everything in my pack onto a very large table. Then, just like my New York de detective a century ago, he examined the contents item by item. He found nothing of interest except for the digital camera Josh had, had gotten for me, JR's video camera, and my moleskin. He flipped through the moleskin, found mostly blank pages, and put it back down. The cameras he pushed to the side of the table. Sir, oh, sit, he said. There was a single straight-backed chair. I sat. He asked me the same questions he had asked me up at Camp 4, but this time he had a tape recorder going and a soldier taking notes. I answered the questions in the exact same way. When he finished, he told me I could repack my things. I began stuffing things back in, but I, when I got to the camera, the captain stopped me. Not those, he said. You have no right to take anything, Thaddeus said. Cameras will be returned after we look. Well, there better not be any damage to them when they are returned, Thaddeus said. Some lawyer, I thought. Glad he wasn't defending me when I was in front of that New York City judge. I'll be, I'd be in jail right now. When we got outside the building, he whispered, was there anything incriminating in those cameras? It's a little bit late to be asking now, I said. But the answer is no. I took the memory card out and put a blank one in. Where is the memory card? Someplace safe. It was actually stuffed in my sock. I was tired. I started toward my tent, and it wasn't until I got there that I remembered. I didn't have a tent there anymore. I crawled into Josh's and was a little surprised at how tidy everything was. All the clothes were neatly folded, gear stored in boxes. He had a little folding desk with pens and paper and a laptop computer. Next to the computer were two sacks of mail. The first stack was addressed to him. The second stack was addressed to me. My stack was a lot higher than his. I could have gotten mad again at the whole mail thing, but I didn't have the energy or the interest anymore. Like I said, you don't get to pick your name or your parents. Joshua Wood is what he is. I couldn't change him or the fact that he was my father. All I could do was try not to become him. I opened the big envelope addressed to Peek, P.P. Marcello. Inside was a drawing and a smaller envelope. Written on the outside of the envelope was Air plan far, six-year-old spelling, meaning airplane fare. Inside was $67.86, not quite enough to get to New York, but I still had Rolf's 300 bucks and the credit card. I pulled out the drawing. It was an invitation to a birthday party. I would have to hurry if I was going to make it in time. I started toward HQ to find Thaddeus, but on the way, I heard a truck start. I ran over to see if I could hitch a ride and found Yogi in the back. The drivers charged me a hundred bucks, but I didn't care. 
I would have paid twice as much. I was on my way home, and the truck was nicer than the one we'd taken to the mountain. The cupboard bed was empty, with plenty of room to lie down and sleep. The two drivers took turns at the wheel and were both in a hurry. They only stopped for fuel, which was fine with me. When we came to the road above the Friendship Bridge, where the prisoners had been shipping the boulder, the truck slowed and came to a stop. Yogi and I hopped out of the back to find out what was going on. The boulder and prisoners were gone. In their place was a Buddhist monk with a shaved head and an orange robe. He was talking to the driver with his back to us. As we walked up, he turned around and smiled. It was Zopa. He looked fully recovered, as healthy as he had that first day I met him in the Indrayani temple. How did you get here? He held up his thumb. I hitchhiked. Somehow I doubted that. Why would someone drop him off on this lonely stretch of road? The only thing nearby was the border crossing at the Friendship Bridge. Unless he asked to be let out here. I will see you on the road, his note had said. I figured he had messed up the phrase and meant down the road. I guess I was wrong. The three of us got into the back of the truck. I thought we were in for a big hassle at the bridge, but when we got there, the guards looked in our truck, glanced at our papers, then waved us through without a word. We made one more stop before we got to the airport in Kathmandu. I complained that I needed to get to the airport, but Zopa made a good point. They will not allow you on an airplane looking and smelling like you do. The monks at the monastery washed my clothes as I took a long bath. Zopa rode to the airport with me. Before going into the terminal, I pulled out the note Zopa had left for us at Camp 4. How did you know you'd see me on the road? Zopa shrugged. The answer didn't surprise me. I unzipped a side pocket on my pack and pulled out the memory card. You might need this to prove Sanjo got to the summit. Zopa took the card and stashed it in the folds of his orange robe. Will we see you again on Saga Martha? I wanted to shrug my reply, but I couldn't, because I knew the answer. No, I said, but I might return to Kathmandu to visit. You are welcome anytime. Zopa bowed and gave me a blessing. Then he looked up and said, Thank you for what you did for my grandson. I returned the bow. Thank you for what your son did for my father. Final chapter, Denouement. It took 24 hours to get to New York, but because I crossed the international dateline going west, I got there only a few hours after I left Kathmandu. I grabbed a cab and nervously fidgeted as the driver fought the heavy traffic into the city, hoping that I wouldn't be too late. When he pulled up in front of our building, I gave him a fistful of cash without even counting. I took the elevator to the loft. I heard the party before I saw it. Rolf knew how to throw a party. Mom and I were a little weak in that area. There would be no less than 75 people in the loft. Parents and their kids, teachers from GSS, 
neighbors, people from mom's bookstore, lawyers from Rolf's office. Last year for entertainment, Rolf had hired a group of performing dogs. The year before, he had brought a reptile woman, Helen of the Herpetologist, Helen the Herpetologist, the twins' favorite, with bags of snakes and turtles and lizards. It turned out that I was the entertainment this year. At least that's what it looked like when I walked through the front door. Told you he would be here. I did too. The two peas dropped their presents and threw their little arms around my thighs. Mom was next, then Rolf. I told myself that I wasn't going to cry, but that idea went right out the window as soon as I saw them. As we hugged, everyone sang happy birthday. When everything had settled down a little, Mom pulled me into the kitchen and asked me how I was. I told her I was tired and a little sore. You've lost weight, I guess. She looked at me for a moment and gave me another hug. I'm glad you're back. Me too. So you didn't make it to the summit. How'd you know that? Josh called this morning said to tell you happy birthday. That was a first. Where was he? He didn't say, somewhere up the mountain. The connection wasn't very good. It reminded me of the old days. I bet, I said. I know I should have called, but I wanted it to be a surprise. It was still a surprise, Mom said. I didn't think you'd get here in time for the birthday, although the two peas insisted I was wrong. Is everything okay here? I mean, is it all right that I came back? Your skyscraper stunt is old news, and Rolf and I are trying to keep it that way. What do you mean, trying? Holly Angelo. Uh-oh. She's been hanging around a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I kind of like her, and the twins are wild about her. Rolf? Well, he tolerates her. We've talked her into not writing about your Everest trip. It would just bring up the whole skyscraper thing again, and we don't want to do that, especially now that you're back in town. It's best if we... Rolf opened the kitchen door with an apologetic, worried look on his face. Peek! Holly pushed him aside as she assaulted the kitchen, wearing a bright pink pantsuit, lime green scarf, and a red purse the size of a suitcase. I let her throw her spidery, spidery arm, arms around me and actually hugged her back. It was good to see her. When she finally set me free, she glanced furtively around the kitchen as if she were looking for spies. I heard you didn't make it to the summit, she whispered. I'm sorry. How did you find out? I've talked to Josh several times in the past couple of days. He was being pretty chatty, it seemed. Holly put her red purse on the counter, looked around again, then pulled out a newspaper. This is about to hit the streets. Youngest Person Summits Everest by Holly Angelo. It was a full-page spread with several photos taken from video I had shot. The biggest photo was of Sanjo. Yogi and Yash sitting next to the summit pole. I think there's a book in this, Holly said. I talked to Sanjo today. He said to say hello and to wish you a happy birthday. He also told me he's enjoying the present you gave him 
And so are his sisters. I smiled. What did you get him? Polly asked. Nothing much, I said. I'd better go out and mingle. Rolf gave me a doubtful look. I said hello to a few people, got a tour of the twins' presents, then noticed Vincent sitting in the corner by himself gathering grist. I was surprised to see him. We always invited him to the parties, but he rarely showed up. Thanks for coming, I said. I was just about ready to leave when you walked in through the door, Vincent said. You have had an interesting few weeks. You read the moleskin, I said. Yes, and it was well written. Unfortunately, there is only a beginning and a partial middle to the story. Even though you managed to fill the moleskin, I'm afraid the assignment is incomplete. The story lacks a climax, an end, and a denouement. So I cannot... There's a second moleskin, I said. I'm not sure about the climax, but the story does have an end. Kind of. And I'm right in the middle of the denouement, literally. I pointed at the partygoers. Vincent smiled. Of course, I see your point. How about if I finish it up tomorrow morning? That will be fine. I will be at GSS until noon. School is out for the summer and the deadline for your assignment has passed. But under the circumstances, I think we can make an exception. He stood up. And again, it's a well-crafted story. You left me hanging. I'm desperate to find out what happened. I'm sitting in my bedroom, finishing the moleskin. The twins are awake. I hear them giggling and arguing as they eat their mid-morning snack. I promised to take them to GSS with me when I drop off the moleskin. Here they come, their little feet pattering up the steps. The door opens. What are you doing? You said you'd take us to school. I'm working on my assignment. What's this? Patrice points at the newspaper article about Sun Joe pinned on my bulletin board. Is that you? Paula asks, pointing at Sun Joe. No. What are those flags? Prayer flags. What's a prayer flag? There's a prayer written on the flag. When it blows in the wind, the prayer goes up to God. If you put the flag really high on a mountain, the prayer gets to God faster. Looks like that yellow one has a blue mountain on it like the ones you used to draw. It could be. Now sit down on my bed and be quiet so I can finish this. We missed you, Peek. We love you, Peek. I love you too. I'm almost finished. I look at the twins, smiling, and write my last sentence. The only thing you'll find on the summit of Mount Everest is a divine view. The things that really matter lie far below. The end.